everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my good friend and colleague, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Steph. Um, and today we are here for episode two of N- the Noir Files, <laughs> our ongoing series where Jimmy and I talk about noir films that we like to watch. <laughs> so today we are talking about one of the most famous classic noir films and I'm just flicking onto another screen to remember what year it was um, made and that's the 1944 film Double Indemnity. Perhaps the er noir. It is I think you know it, and it's also one of those very strange noir as well I think I mean it's it's, it's the one that people often think back to um, and it's the one that also I think stays with you the most after you watch it because I, I don't know about you but it, I find it very strange noir in many ways yeah i think it is strange but i think it is it's you're right it's a movie that i think of when i think of noir i just think of you know barbara stanwyck standing there mm. in the stairway with her with her strange fringe <laughs> and the massive fringe the massive awful fringe really <laughs> um but was kind of stylish back then yeah it was considered well i mean i think it was a bit of an exaggeration even then <laughs> but um yeah it's it's certainly one of the most kind of it evokes the kind of style iconic, and mood yeah. of, of film noir, I think, almost better than any other film. Mm. Um, so why do you think it is strange? I don't disagree. I think it is very strange. But why do you think it is strange? Well, I mean, th- there's several factors that I think makes it a particularly strange noir. But for me, the most uh, obvious one, or the, or the one that I always get puzzled about, is the seeming lack of emotion in the film. Mm. Like, I mean... They, they're almost, um, they're acting as if they should be emotionally affected, but I'm not convinced that they are emotionally affected. Yeah. You know, it's like they love for each other. Are they actually in love with each other? No. You're not quite <laughs> sure. And, I don't think so. And everything yeah. is so ambiguous by the end that mm. you know, I'm just kind of left wondering what on earth is going on in this really bizarre world. You know, it's like a completely other world or it's I mean I suppose it's, it's a very Billy um, I suppose say Billy Holiday Billy Wilder film because you know it is very satirical in nature it's um, yeah and it's questioning I suppose um, or critiquing I should say that specific world yeah it's like a it's like an exaggerated film noir world it's it like it's very blown up yeah. you know like everything is you know from her first you know, entrance into the film. Which I'd say is a spectacular was, entrance. Yeah, into, with, the, into the, with the legs and the, 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 the anklet. Semi-naked. Semi-naked, <laughs> the anklet. It's all very, um, yeah, it's all very yeah. over the top and, you know. Clutching the, the towels or the yeah, robes to her chest. Exactly, you know, and, and it's all very, uh, you know, Because it makes you wonder what on earth was she doing naked? Yeah, I know, like, what is she, and then this strange man comes to her house mm. and then it's just, it's on, like, from mm. the beginning, you know. As, almost as soon as he arrives, she's mm. like, okay, I'm going to seduce this guy, and yeah. then, oh, by the way, can we kill my husband? Yeah. Um, but, and mean, it's almost like the first conversation they yeah. have. But even the, the very intro is quite bizarre, because you, you, you're following somebody who's limping, um, uh, and it looks actually almost like an exaggerated, um, maybe what it is, an exaggerated, um, he's using crutches or something like that. Yeah. It just looks really, really odd. Yeah. So the, it introduces this really strange odd note at the start and then um, and then it starts in flashbacks so he's going backwards mm. in, in time to explain uh, there's no mystery as such because he basically confessed that you know he did it at the very very start mm. so it almost defies the convention to some degrees because we're not getting that mm. reveal that oh he, you know this is the criminal we're already told almost at the very start that he is the criminal and he's going to be narrating this story that we're, we're about to find out 
And I guess that's somewhat characteristic of film noir because film noir, we're often on the side of the baddies, yeah. you know, rather than the side of, of the... I mean, not always. I mean, mm. something like A Big Sleep, you know, we're on the side of the detective, although mm. that movie is also very confused <laughs> and very confusing. Um, and both, of course, you know, had uh, Raymond Chandler. In and Raymond Chandler. And Raymond Chandler's in this movie. Is he in this? this yeah, he's, he, he, he's a cameo. He's when they walk oh. out of the office... He's like on a chair outside. Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah, he's yeah. it's a famous cameo. I think okay. he was drunk. <laughs> I think he was usually drunk. Yeah. Um so I think in this case he was quite literally drunk. Um outside he's yeah, he's sitting down on a seat. They just walk past him, he doesn't say anything, but okay. there's a cameo by Raymond Chandler. Um yeah, it's just um the way that it's set up is so ambiguous, I agree, as you say. It, it is a sort of heightened film noir world. It's, just, mm. it's, it's got that um, film noir style and atmosphere, but at the same time you're never quite sure what in, exactly is going on, I think. Um, her scheme is so well-developed from the start that it almost seems like, I agree, as you say, whoever just sort of showed up at her house that day, she would be like, hey, you want to kill my husband? Yeah. Um, you know, and for fun. He, and the way he succumbs to it is so... Almost immediately. Yeah. Like he's walks, like, okay. He walks up in disgust initially. He's going, no. No. I'm not going to do it. I'm How dare you? you. How dare you? She knocks on the door and we're like, okay, fine. Yeah. And I'm they're going, when did you make that switch in your mind? Yeah, like, I know. Exactly. Yet we buy it. <laughs> yet, yet we kind of buy into this strange world. And I would say, you know, whether they are in love or not, I'd never bought that they were in love. No, I mean... That they in, were initially, in I, lust, maybe, yeah. Yeah, well, they were definitely... Well, even then, I mean, I think he was definitely in lust. I don't know whether she No, was. I don't think she was. Yeah, she's I a think really she's just, unique, yeah. interesting character, which I want to explore a little bit later, but I'm often confused about their relationship because he seems to be in lust, and yet they don't seem to, you know, do it that, that no. often. Um, and yet... They keep confessing their love for each other, but it, it almost seems mechanical. Like or staged or yeah, something. Yeah, staged. And you know, oddly, you know, he never calls her by her name. Yeah. She's always baby. She's, yeah. She could almost be anybody, really. It's almost like this disembodied Well, that's entity. interesting, because I'm like, I feel like she would kind of use anybody in his place. So maybe they're both yeah. using just anybody. Yeah, and, and I mean, she yeah. does say, you know, you could have been anybody, I think, to, towards the end there. You know, mm. that, you know you're right, you know, I, I, could, I would have just been anybody. Mm. Um, so I think we get that from her. He confuses me because I'm, I just, I'm just wondering what he gets out of it. Because, I mean, keeping in mind that the first, well, one of the first things he said is that, you know, I did this uh, for the money and, you know, for, for a woman, and I ended up with nothing. Mm. Uh, I didn't get the money or, or the woman at the end. So we know straight away, it's almost like the entire plot of the story has already been revealed to us. Mm. But we're also left wondering, well, why did did he actually do it? I mean, why did he, he didn't really need the money, so no. did he really do it for the money? Possibly he did it for the woman, but mm. other than the initial first, you know, lustful encounter that they have, they don't really seem to share anything other than the desire to commit this crime. And they know that they're no good. Mm. Both of them knows that the other is not a good person. There's yeah. no, there's never a kind of emotional connection between no. the two. Yeah, I mean that's why I think. Well, certainly not from from my perspective. It's certainly not love. It's lust on his side for mm. sure. On her side, I think it's just convenience and. Um, but then there's that very puzzling ending where yeah. she doesn't shoot him again. Yes. And kind of actually allows him to shoot her. Yes, there is that. Yeah, that Which, is true. Yeah, and she said, you know, well, I would have said, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't love you, but mm. then I couldn't take that second shot and finish you off. Mm. And yeah, they're going, 
so what does that say? And yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose that's kind of maybe the point, you mm. know, that this is an ambiguous universe. You know, film noir doesn't really have good guys and bad guys. Mm. It has, you know, gradations of bad guys. Yeah. Um, and maybe the But it almost seems like they don't even understand themselves yeah. you know, in, in this process. It's like they're play acting. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I got a sense of quite a lot. There's, a, there's an artifice to mm. the entire story. So it's almost like... They've assigned themselves specific roles and they'll just play that role without really thinking about whether they actually fit mm. those roles. Or, or not, why they're doing or it. Or why they're actually even doing it. I mean, we kind of know why she's doing it. We get her motivation quite a lot, but we don't quite get his motivation uh, as such other than lust. That's really the only thing we can mm. account for. Um, but then he also has other strange motivations that I don't quite understand either. So like his, his sympathy for um, the, the daughter, whose name completely escapes me uh, right now, um, I am consulting my <laughs> scholarly source known as Wikipedia, um, Lola. Lola, yeah. yeah. So his sympathy for, for Lola, it's almost like he's one bit at doing something good yeah. in, in this world, but even then it's not quite good because the person she is in love with is not a particularly pleasant no. guy either. So, no. And from what we can see of their relationship, it seems to be quite an abusive Yeah, that's right, it is, yeah. So he's trying to help her... Be with him. Be with this, be in this abusive relationship for good, for the yeah. purpose of being good. It just seems really odd to me. Yeah, it is. It is odd. I think you're right that the motivate his motivations aren't drawn particularly clear. I'm just thinking as you were talking about mm. postman always rings twice, whereas <laughs> a sort of similar plot in terms of you know mm. getting rid of the husband. But in that, which movie, will be another episode. Which yeah. will be another episode. But that movie, the motivations are far clearer, and they're yes. economic. Mm. in a more real sense yes. because they're sort of in the middle of nowhere mm. um, but here yeah there's a sort of theatricality to mm. what they're doing which which drives with what you're saying about it being sort of they're sort of play acting yeah. and even the way that they're sort of um, such a heightened vision of film noir and this is like a fairly it's, it's not an it's an early it's film an noir, early noir yeah. but it's almost like it's parodying itself with how like heightened it is like she's yeah. such a like a almost a Black Widow character, and oh, she's yeah. got the, the glasses oh, and the hair, fabulous. and <laughs> she is like the image of the film noir femme fatale. Mm. I mean, you could, you know, paste her in um, as the film Which the is quite interesting because, you know, she, she's not a, uh, a raging beauty like, um, uh, you know, what's her name from, from Laura? Um, Jean Tierney. Yeah, yeah. Jean yeah and Barbara Stanwyck is a very well-established actress yeah, by this time. She's had a, like a multi-decade career. Yes, um, and, you know, critically acclaimed. Uh, yeah. Actress as well, so she's not a like a, a no, ingenue or anything no, like that. No, she's not somebody yeah. you often associate with a mm. femme fatale, and yet she does embody almost that ideal femme fatale. Yeah, she's um, got the the, the lacquered hair, mm. and that she's you know got this kind of um uh, face, you know, mm. like that that is almost painted on. Mm. She's so well presented. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what makes her particularly unique or interesting femme fatale is the intelligence that you see mm. behind all of that you know here's a woman who's scheming and she knows exactly what she wants and she's going to get it um regardless of you know yeah. what gets in her way um which you both love and hate at the same time you know because she's quite a, a repellent character but you can't help but admire oh yeah i agree and and then often you see i think in film noir the kind of fragile femme fatale mm. you know the femme fatale who's a little bit possibly deranged, yes. um, a little bit um, mentally unstable, yes. or is so caught up in love or lust or whatever mm. that she starts out being really um, strategic, I suppose, yeah. and then sort of is off-centre because of yeah. her love for the hero. Here, she never loses that kind of menace. No. 
But I agree, you do like her. You yeah. do want her to succeed. I hate him too. Yeah, I'll he seems like such a he's a, such a I don't know weak, weird character, and I just think like just lose the dude, Phyllis. <laughs> you can do it all. You don't need this guy. Yeah, he's a bit of an idiot. He is. I mean, I I don't particularly like him as a character, although I do like his relationship with Keats, yes, uh, his supervisor, um, who kind of serves as the the primary detective figure. Yeah, I love Edward G. Robinson in this film. How wonderful is he? He is so good. Mm. He's so good in everything. He is, but but with this one, he's he's so compelling. He's he's, he's the one that I'm often drawn to. He's the emotional centre of the film. He is. He's both the emotional and the moral centre of of this film. I think, you know, he's he's the thing that connects everything together. together. Uh, And he's he's really the only sympathetic figure, from a truly sympathetic figure, in this, I mean, you kind of sympathise with Lola, but at the same time, you're also a little bit annoyed with her for you know not getting out of this uh, or not seeing how destructive her relationship is and continually wanting that type of, of relationship. Um, although you do sympathise with, with her from that perspective, but but he seems to be such a moral yeah. character and yet uh, a very strong character at the same time too, um, and very intelligent, obviously, because he he can he can solve all these cases. You, you can't help but really admire him. Yeah, and he and he has that long extended scene at the end where you're like, this is, this is the real kind of guts of the movie, mm. and that's unexpected when yeah. you think about the way it starts and you think about the kind of universe that we're in. And of course, we know Edward G. Robinson as a gangster, but you know he again had made his career off playing yeah. the gangster and the mobster and the yeah. you know the nineteen you know thirties sort of. Um, Real power broker. Yeah, he, he often plays villains, uh, but, but here he's he's quite sympathetic. But it's not it's not just he's good. No, no, it's he's not just complex. He's, he's he's highly complex, um, and he's highly fascinating too because of the uh, because of his relationship um, uh, with with what's his name Neff Neff George um, Walter Neff Walter Neff yeah um, his relationship is a really interesting relationship. I actually find that relationship so much more interesting yeah, than I agree. his relationship with you know, Phyllis. You yeah, know? and it's much it's it's much more real. And it's much more emotional too. Like mm. you, you almost get the sense that you know what he's um, what Neff is uh, what Neff regrets is actually he, the damage that he's done to this relationship rather than yeah. his relationship with with Phyllis. You know, it's almost like you know well, this is the relationship he cares about more than anything else. Yeah, and he's let his relationship with Phyllis impact upon impact his relationship him. with with um, Keys with Barton. Um, yeah, Barton Keys. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a unexpected kind of development, and it gives it gives the film a kind of emotional core that mm. because Phyllis is so emotionless, mm. at least in terms of like. She's always in control of her emotions. Yes. That I think there needed to be a kind of emotional core that's not mm. that central relationship. And, and there's also a lot of comedy, I think. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's quite very funny. funny. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, and it, it balances that comedy, suspense, and drama really well. I mean, I was thinking in particular of the scene where he um, unexpectedly arrives. Um, so this is Keys. Unexpectedly arrive at Neff's apartment. And Phyllis was supposed to, you know, come up for a booty call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. And so there's this build-up suspense, uh, suspense where you're thinking, oh, you know, it's all going to be revealed. And of course, she hides behind the door, the door which is that famous kind of scene it, of her just exactly. sort of standing there. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's they're supposed to suspense, but there's also something very absurd about that moment. Oh yeah. So you know, it's it, it's quite you, you can play it to comedic effect, and I think the film straddles that line beautifully. 
so that you, mm. you do have both the comedy and suspense and the drama happening simultaneously. Yeah. Well, you said that, that earlier that it was satirical. I think it is, mm. and I think it is parodic as well. Yeah. It like it, it, it plays up the noir kind of affect so much that it tips over into parody, which I don't mm. think is a critique of the movie. No, no. I think that's quite purposeful because yeah. it is a kind of um, this heightened moral universe. They do seem mm. like, as you said, that they're, they're performing roles. Like Absolutely. she's performing the femme fatale. Yeah. She, he's performing the you know the hapless kind of yeah, the suitor, the antihero, yeah. and um, you know their plot is over the top. Mm. Everything that they want their to language do. Language is over the top. I mean, I've never heard so many. Suppose I, <laughs> you know, yeah, film I know. Ever, you know, suppose I did this. Suppose I did this. You know, what else they're going. What is going on in this? But they, world? but they look. They talk too as if they're conscious that like. Hi, I'm the femme fatale. Yeah. Okay, I'm the anti. Like, yeah. as if they and know. And I'm going to play that part. I mean, yeah. there's that very, very famous exchange, obviously, between um, uh, Phyllis and, and Neff at the very beginning, where she's calling him out on his sexual advances, and he's calling her out yeah. on, you know, pretending to not know what they are, even though she's she's obviously, you know, um, in cahoots with the entire thing. You know, yeah. With that, you know, there's, there's a speed limit here, you know, it's... 45 miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How fast was I going? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And then we um, proceed to like No, nobody talks like that. <laughs> but you love it because, you know, it's such yeah. a witty dialogue. It's so clever in the way it's constructed. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you do admire that they, that they play it to perfection. They do play it to perfection. And you get drawn into this scene mm. of, like, there's this, you know, this witty, bantery flirtatiousness mm. that's going on. And you're like... When I when you know the last time I, I I saw it, which was a few weeks ago, you know, part of my brain is thinking, no one talks like this, no. and then the other part is like, but God, this is good dialogue. I know. I was like, yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> I was like, you know, no one talks like this, but God, I kind of wish people did. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, and that they, it's like they pick that up straight away. Yeah. You know, there's no kind of, oh hi, you know, how are you? Who are you? Blah blah blah. It's just yeah. from the beginning, they're like, I'm a, you know. Um, a trashy dame, and yeah. you know, um, and I'm a, I'm the, and you're the, corrupt, you know, you're the corrupt man who loves her, you know, yeah. like it's, it's not, um, yeah, again, that theatricality and that mm. excessive kind of vibe to it that you get throughout the whole thing. I mean, I was lecturing yesterday about the gothic and, um, you know, thinking about the gothic and, and crime fiction coming out of the gothic, mm. and like this is very gothic because there's this over the top excessive theatricality yeah. to it where they, it, it is sort of almost tipping over into parody because mm. it's so clear from the beginning what kind of world you're in. Well, even the way they're, they're staged. I mean, these people yeah. would exist perfectly in Instagram. I mean, they, they know exactly oh, yeah. how to pose in each shot. I mean, even that ending that I was thinking of, uh, she's you know she's sitting on the sofa and he comes, you know, yeah. around her. She's lying like this and you're yeah. thinking, oh, my gosh, she's perfectly posed. Well, the light is just hitting her perfectly and she's even looking at the camera I know. in a way and you're just like... <laughs> and her hair's all like arranged, um, but even in the shop, you know that scene where in the shop mm. and she's like all um, sort of lit up and she's yeah. sort of standing there looking like mm. you know super cool with the sunglasses mm. and the um, everything about her is so well presented. And I think that's why we can't get to what her motivations mm. are because she's the kind of character that won't let you into her motivations because she's always got a facade up. She's mm. always got a kind of pose on. You know, at the beginning, she's sex pot, mm. you know, half naked, yeah. you know, showing off her legs and mm. her anklets and all this. And, um, you know, she's always... And then when she's dressed, she's, you know, sharp suits and all mm. angles. She's all angles in her costuming and yeah. her, um, her hair and her hat and mm. everything is about her is angular. And I think that... Um, 
the, the point here is that we don't know her. We know nothing about her. We know nothing about her. and We we, we uh, don't even know really why. No. She kind of says why she wants to kill her husband. But, but Mikhail, well, do you really need to go <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, like, that, that far to get what you want? What do you really want? Yeah, you anyway. don't know. Yeah, um, and She's I think, unknowable, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of the issue with that is that there's never a break in a facade. No. There's never any moment where you no. get a glimpse inside of what this person actually is or who this person actually is. All you really know are the roles that she's playing and she seems to be playing every single role to, to even at the end, she's almost seeming to be playing the tragic heroine as if she's decided at that moment, okay, my next role is going to be the, the tragic heroine who gets killed. In, yeah, in, she's realised that she's not going to get out of this yeah, alive and, and so she's like, I'm going to make my death sort of spectacular. I'm going to make my death spectacular. And it, yeah. it is, you know, after she's, she's slumped ever so gracefully yeah. and, you know, and he's putting her on the couch ever so gracefully. It's, it's all beautifully staged, all you know, beautifully artificial in a way. Yeah, and I think that does make her unusual for like the femme fatales because mm. the femme fatale is supposed to be a kind of facade and, you know, mm. this character that, you know, is sort of playing the role. But... I think that in other gothic, in other not gothic film noirs, and also the books upon which they're based, because this is of course a, a novel by James Kane, um, you do get a moment of, of humanity cracking out, but yeah. she never lets that happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I was thinking actually of you know something that we'll probably talk about in another episode. You know, Bridget O'Shaughnessy at the end of the, the Maltese Falcon. Yes. You know, we get a glimpse of. We get the real. We get the real yeah. Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Um, uh, but this one we don't. Yeah. It's almost like she's like, you know, okay, I've decided now I'm going to play Bridget O'Shaughnessy at the end. I'm going to have this tragic ending and that's the person mm. I'm going to be. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's never a break in the facade. It's almost as if she, uh, there's nothing inside. It's just all exterior. Yeah, it's all surface. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about other, I think we, we do get those moments, you know, again, the big sleep we get with, mm. um, uh, certainly, the um, yeah, the Lauren McCall character has this has moments of, of real of humanity. Well, she, which is great. I mean, I, I think she's probably one of the warmest fan Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, so we don't quite get a fan fatale like that. But then we also don't get a fan fatale as cold as this one. I yeah, think I think she is the coldest. She is the coldest. Yeah. Uh, but she's also, in a way, the the definitive as well. When you think about a fan fatale, you, you often probably she, turn yeah, more towards is. her. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because we like to see the fan fatales having a little bit more. Um, uh, not that she lacks depth, but a little bit more complexity, I suppose, mm. to it that there's something else going on underneath. And Whereas this yeah. one, we we possibly believe that there is something else going on underneath, but we don't know what that is. Yeah, that's right. I never get the sense that there's nothing going on underneath. No, no, no. There is, which it, is just she never allow, allows she us never to see allows it. She never allows us in. She never allows anybody to no. see it. We kind of get possibly a glimpse, but at the same time, we don't know whether this is, because it's told through the perspective of Lola, whether... Mm it's Lola's perspe- uh, perception or whether it's actually the real her, you know, when she's describing uh, what happened to her mother, to Lola's mother, um, who uh, Phyllis uh, nursed yeah. to death. <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> um, and it's she, a point of, yeah, yeah. where she talks about this look that she has, mm. um, where Lola says, you know, and she gave me this look and it just made me feel cold and, you know, as if mm. things were just all wrong. It's almost like she's saying that's the real Phyllis. Yeah. That's the one that we don't see. And we never quite see that. Yeah, and w- but that would suggest that her what what lies underneath this perfect facade mm. is like real evil. Yeah, which I don't exactly buy. Um, I mean, you know, she does do some she does do truly some terrible shitty things throughout yeah. this film, but I don't buy her as evil. Mm. I buy her as perhaps manipulative. Well, certainly manipulative, certainly self self-centered mm. maybe narcissistic mm. but i don't buy her as evil like i believe and maybe this is 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 in stanley's performance mm. more than it is maybe in the character is yes written, but um 
I always believe there's something going on. Yeah. But um, I just don't know what it is. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I've, I've forgotten who wrote this, could have been Peo Scott from the New York Times, um, when he was reviewing uh, Mel Streep's performance uh, in The Devil Wears Prada, mm. um, that the, the fictional character of Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada has no nuance, mm. but Mel Streep is an actress who fills her character with nuances, nuances so, yeah. and, and that's what you see in this. And I feel the same with this one, I think, you know, Barbara Stanwyck is an actress who does fill her, her character with nuances, so you're not going to get a blank... No. evil person underneath you're going to get somebody who is really, really complex but is deliberately um, shielding herself mm. from the viewers that you never really quite get a glimpse in there but you're, you're kind of seeing something there you just don't know what yeah and you get I mean maybe that's an economic you know like mm. women in this world are economically yeah. vulnerable and mm. so she's figured out that the way to, to do it is to use men in whatever mm. way will shore up her own you know financial security maybe mm. it's that maybe it's you know, she's being hurt or, yeah. um, you know, abused or something in some way and she's trying to do what she has to do to kind yeah. of get away. Because we don't really know about her past either. We don't know anything We know that she her. was, the earliest we know about her is that she was a nurse. And um, then, yeah. And that she possibly killed, you know. She possibly killed her, her patient. <laughs> her patient. And but she married. certainly married her patient's husband. <laughs> husband. Um, Which makes you then question the husband as well. Well, yeah, I mean, quiet. The, the husband usually in these cases gets away with it. Well, doesn't get away with it in that he's murdered, but yeah. um, gets away with it in that... But he's also not a particularly sympathetic yeah. character either. Yeah. You know, when you see him, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, and he's, he's not a particularly likable Yeah, I mean, character. possibly not Must deserving be of being... Possibly not deserving not of being, being murdered. Killed, obviously. But yeah, he's not Yeah, he's not a nice dude. No, um, and that in a way also helps us, uh, I guess, understand her a little bit better as well. Mm. So has she gotten herself caught in a situation that she wants to get out of? And yeah. The only way that she can see of getting out of that is murder. Well, and then maybe you can see her, like, mm. very angular suits as a kind of armour mm. um, that she, you know, she has to arm herself because yes. in order to get out of this situation, we say, yeah, you're right, her husband is a horrible guy. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a terrible marriage. You wouldn't want to be it is a terrible marriage. And maybe marriage. that's... Mm. The, the, there's a desperation maybe mm. underneath rather than anything else. Actually, yeah, while well, I was saying that, I was thinking of a line that potentially could show something underneath the surface of Phyllis, and that's when she's driving him to the train station, mm. and she says, you know, um, yeah, you're going to get get away for four days, you know, get away from me for four days, you should be happy about that. Mm. And he, he's kind of almost dismissive about that. Yeah, that's true, I forgot about that line. Yeah, and that's I, interesting. I, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, is this in a way kind of the, the root of what we're seeing here, that for her, or maybe for a woman during this time, there is no way out of this yeah. situation. They're so yeah. trapped. They're so trapped within um, the conventions of the period that the only way really they can get out of it would be through murder. And if she's going to murder him, she might as well make a profit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, you know, if you are trapped in this horrible situation, mm. you know, it would be very difficult in mm. the 40s. For um, somebody to get a divorce, because mm. um, I think Neff actually even asked her that. She he says, you know, why did you do, you know, get a divorce? And mm. she says simply, you know, he will never give me a divorce. Yeah, not so that she... I will go get a divorce, but he will never give me a divorce. Well, yeah, and I mean that's because yeah. he had to agree to he it. He had to agree to it. Yeah, yeah, which kind of shows the powerlessness of women during this particular situation. Yeah. So what would you do? I guess. Well, yeah, quite. I mean. Hopefully, you would come up with a better way than murdering your husband. But, you know, you can certainly see why she one would be tempted um, to murder one's husband, especially when, you know, a, a sort of more attractive, younger man sort of wanders yeah. into your orbit. Mm. But we, we also kind of get the sense that I don't know whether she's actually attracted to him at all. 
No, I don't get that sense. I, I just think he's convenient. That yeah. He's in the right place at the right time. Mm, and he he just, sort of stumbles in. He stumbles in and his plan or, you know, whatever, his profession actually suits the plan that she sort of almost came up at the last minute, it yeah. seems. Like she, it's almost it's like, like okay, we want to murder him. Mm. Oh, crap, I need to figure out a way. I need to figure out a way. Yeah. So maybe this guy can help me figure out a way yeah. to go with my husband. Yeah, he's. I think he's. I think he's just an opportunity, an opportunistic thing. I don't. Mm. I don't get the sense that she's very attracted to him. I think maybe she enjoys like the banter. I think she enjoys the banter. I think she definitely enjoys manipulating him. Yeah. Um, and maybe she senses a weakness in him. Like yeah. he's going to be the kind of man that mm. you know, if I flash a bit of leg, yeah. um, and he'll be so. I don't know, enthralled to me that I can pretty much make him do whatever. Yeah. I mean, there, there is one moment where I can think of where she does actually get quite annoyed with him. Yeah. Um, and that's when um, he's switched role with her husband because he's already killed her husband. And he's giving her, uh, relaying instructions to her as they walk to the train again. And she's mm. like, I know. You don't want to see her rolling her eyes like, yes, I already know that. Yeah. You know, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't need to Don't worry, I'm on top of that. I'm on yeah. top of that. You know, can we just move on? <laughs> so, yeah. so she was actually getting quite annoyed with him in that situation. And yet he was relentless. Right, he just kept giving her instruction after instruction. That's why she has to end up dead at the end <laughs> of the movie because, like, this relationship is never good. I mean, it's not, I mean, obviously, it's mm. not the kind of relationship that one builds a happy and successful life mm. on, but, like, it's the kind of relationship that it can only survive the plot. Yeah, and I was also thinking um, of something else when I saw that scene, which was that I was thinking it's almost like um, she realised something, which is that, you know, in escaping one relationship, so her marriage, she's inadvertently entered another relationship that potentially would turn into the exact same relationship well, well, she just got out of. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it seems like he's slowly converting into her husband. Yeah, it's like if you jump from, mm. you know, presumably she's jumping from man to man yeah. and, and you know, feeling trapped in these relationships. And mm. so her way out is through another man. Yeah. And... But then, of course, it replicates. So it then, replicates, yeah. yeah, that's when she becomes a sort of black widow. Mm. You know, who is she going to hire to bump off Nen? Mm. You know, yeah. eventually. I mean, it doesn't come to that because mm. he, he kills her. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very strange film. Like the more I think about it, the, the stranger it becomes, mainly yeah. through motivation itself. I think it's it leads itself to being deliberately ambiguous mm. uh, and therefore very difficult to try to figure out. And I don't know about you, but for me, I always like to figure things out. So I always like to understand motivation. I always like to understand why characters behave the way that they do. And this one is a mystery to me because it's not that I, um, I don't come to the conclusion that there isn't any motivation. I just come to the conclusion that I don't quite know what it is. Yeah. You know, which makes it really, really puzzling. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that I, I guess that's part of the point of, of film noir in that we are in an ambiguous moral universe. You know, there's no easy answers from mm. any um, anybody in this universe and people are neither good nor wholly bad mm. um, so I don't mind that so much I prefer um, I, although I love The Big Sleep and we'll talk about that more at some stage um, I kind of prefer this to The Big Sleep just because The Big Sleep's plot is so freaking confusing that I still have <laughs> no idea what happens in that movie I don't think Graham Chandler knows what happens in the movie either um, so in a way, this appeals to me more, even mm. though it is more ambiguous. And I love that ambiguity, but I do mm. wonder if what is going on in this movie is that three very talented actors are elevating the material, and Billy Wilder is, of course, a very talented director. Yeah. Um, and I, I suspect, I haven't read the James Cain novel, mm. I suspect it's not as good as the movie. 
No, from what I've heard, it's it's not. <laughs> it's yeah. more it's more pulp than. I think it's more, and they've really elevated it into a kind yeah. of psychodrama, even though you don't know what the motivations are. Yeah, because I mean, the the case, it's, the, the story itself is based on a true case. Yeah, yeah. So um, we were talking about yeah, yeah. I've acquired the uh, a, a true crime <laughs> book about the case, but I haven't had time to read it yet. But yeah. it is a it is about a real life. It's incident. a real life yeah. incident, and um, I've I've heard. Uh, I've done a little bit of research on the actual incident itself and it's one of those that unfortunately doesn't have a lot of depth to it. It's, so maybe it's, this book will be very, very cut it out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically fairly straightforward in that, you know, it was a, kind of a, a woman who's in a marriage that she's unhappy with and she decides to, you know, off her husband and gets insurance, but she's nowhere near as smart as Phyllis mm. Dietrichson. You know, she doesn't come up with these elaborate schemes that, you know, um, is quite... And find the perfect patsy to help her. Exactly. Yeah, she yeah. basically gets her lover to help her. But then, you know, she couldn't even... Like, the police were onto her from day one. That's, you know, she couldn't even get away with it from, mm. <laughs> from the first day because she... I forgot what she was doing, but she was doing something... She, she did a contradiction that was very silly um, that just put the police's suspicion straight onto her. Like, you know, why would you... Well, I guess that's a disjunct between real life and the movies, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, when you watch... Um, something like film noir or any kind of crime movies, the the criminals are very clever and they're mm. you know always outfoxing the police and mm. they've got you know they're like almost sociopathic geniuses. Yeah. But like in real life, criminals are mostly dumb, um, and you know ra- random unplanned yeah. violence. Like mm. the the kind of like genius serial killer doesn't really exist except in our imagination mm. because mostly they're just people who are violent. Yeah. Who do violent things on the spur of the moment and then get caught very easily? Yeah. So, I, I, <laughs> yeah. So I think I think the yeah, the talent at working in this mm. um, elevated the material much mm. more than what it is. I mean, I was also noticing um, a, a Macbeth a, a Macbeth illusion. Oh yeah, she's a total lady. She's, she's a total lady Macbeth. <laughs> but he's also um, a, a Macbeth figure himself. You know, there was one scene that just. I could, there were several scenes where I was thinking, oh, yep, she's completely Lady Macbeth. Mm. But there's one scene that almost mirrored um, a scene from Macbeth itself, which is um, right afterwards as he's walking. Um, you know, so after the killing, after the murder, he goes back to his apartment uh, and then he has to um, let the, the person who's repairing the car know that he's here. So he goes down mm. and he's like, oh, I'm just going to go for a walk um, to, to buy some food. I'll be back mm. later. And he goes for his walk and he says, um, and at that moment, um, I realised that you know uh, there was a, a problem with my plan, uh, because I can't hear my own footstep anymore. Mm. So you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doomed man or something to that effect. Yeah. And I was just thinking about the the moment after Macbeth kills Duncan, where he says something very similar, which you know that uh, all prayer is gone from yeah. from him. He can't pray anymore. You know, he can't. He can't oh, that's it. That. And I, was I didn't think about that. That's really good. Yeah, I was just thinking about that particular illusion. I thought, you know, that this is how it's actually adding a lot of these psychological depth and mm. a lot of these complexity, and it's why we're so puzzled by the film and why we keep we're attracted and drawn back to the film. Well, so. like, well, like Macbeth and Lady mm. Macbeth. That you know, the question is, how much is does she mm. prod him into doing it? And I think the answer to that in both cases mm. of Macbeth and Double Indemnity is that it has to be something that's in him. If you are not the kind of person exactly, yeah. that will murder somebody, mm-hmm. you are not the, the kind of person that will murder somebody. You can't. You, mm. Somebody can't just say, hey, you want to murder somebody. Yes. Um, and then if you're not the kind of person that has that in you, you mm. just won't do it. Whereas he, it takes very little convincing. You're right. You know, the, the first time, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. The second time, sure, that, that's yes. fine. It's like, yeah, okay, um, let's yeah, right. now. Let's go. Yeah, let's, it's all on. Yeah. Um, so it's very little convincing. It's mm. almost like he just sort of says, oh, Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, and 
that has to be in him, mm. like Macbeth. And we're going to get him. that with Macbeth as well. It's going to yeah. say, you know, no, I'm not going to kill Duncan. It's like, you know, are you a man? It's like, okay, I'll kill Duncan. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, like the, the classic kind of um, response to Macbeth is go, well, it's all Lady Macbeth's fault. Mm. But I'm like, no, it's not because not. he did it. He did it. He didn't and have he to do it. And he wanted it. to do it. She, what she did is mm. she um, played on his. Yeah. his desire to already exactly. do it, which already existed in him. And this is the same. Yeah. He, you know, he takes very little convincing to kill another man. And yes, he feels guilty afterwards mm. or he feels like he's doomed afterwards, but he does it. He still carries yeah. it out. And, and he, it takes very little convincing yeah. to kill And he him. also ups the ante as well. She's like, no, all we have to do is kill him. We're like, no, 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 don't just kill him. Kill him on a train because there's a double indemnity clause and you get twice the money. Yeah, I know. And then he's the one who introduces the double indemnity clause. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you're kind of like, okay, well, she's just after something very simple and you've just made it much more yeah. uh, complex so, much so he ups the economic stakes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, so you know, there's uh, I think there's very very strong parallels there, um, and also to the to the point of you know, uh, one of the most confusing things that a lot of people find about Macbeth is how Lady Macbeth just sort of falls apart at the end, mm. and we kind of get that again here as well with Phyllis. Mm. And she just kind of falls apart at the end and accepts that. Okay, accepts, well, I'm not going to get out of this. Yeah, so I might as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to come up with this strange line of saying, well. Yeah, I thought I thought I wasn't in love with you, but then I couldn't pull the trigger. So what does that mean? Yeah, well now you know because I I didn't love you until one minute ago or until whatever she says ago, when yeah. I pulled the trigger. Yeah, and then, and, and then who responds to that is to shoot her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and then that, but the, that's what I mean. Like he's he's not a great dude. It's not no. like you can say she's corrupted him from from goodness. You know, he kills her mm. in cold blood mm. to her face. Um, shoots her, mm. and he's already killed a man. Yeah. You know, it's not like he can say yeah. that she is the person that that um, mm. deviated him from the path Absolutely. of righteousness or something. Yeah. You know, he is a bad guy, and she's just chosen. You know, with her preternatural intelligence, she's chosen the best. Mm. And interesting, they they both admit to being rotten themselves. You know, yeah, person, you know, they're like they're both rotten. They're both she recognizes that. She recognizes that, yeah. and it's almost like you know, okay, well, maybe that's what we have in common. We're both. Rotten. Yeah, it's a marriage yeah. maybe. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, we're both just sort of playing the facade of being a decent, you know, con- mm. um, everyday citizen, but actually really rotten to the core. Well, that's why I don't think either of them are really capable of love. I don't no. think that, um, you know, we were talking at the beginning mm. about how he seems to be in love, she doesn't. Mm. Um, but that's why I, I just cannot see this as any way as a love relationship. He, she doesn't yeah. love him and he doesn't love her. They're just using mm. each other. Yeah, I mean, the only love that I can see there is, as you mentioned earlier, which is between the yeah. love between him and, and Keys. Um, but it, even then, you know, I think at the end... It's deepened at the end. It's deepened yeah. at, at the end. Uh, but even at the end, he doesn't show that he's a particularly moral character because... The moral thing to do would be to accept your punishment, but he's like, no, 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 can you do me one last favour, Keys, and just allow me to escape? Yeah. <laughs> Let me just cross the border, injured. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Keys like, you're not going to even make it to the, you know, to the lift. Yeah, know? which of um, course he doesn't. Which yeah. he doesn't. Uh, and, and Keys, of course, showing how moral he is, you know, Cause the ambulance and the police to to do what he said he was going to do to begin with. So yeah, um, it, it, he's not a particularly likable character for mm. me. But at the same time, I think he is quite an interesting. Uh, he is an interesting character. Yeah, but I mean, he for me he pales like in terms of the the, the you know principal three characters. I think Phyllis yeah, yeah, and, and Keys are much more are much more interesting. Yeah. Um, the one character that I, I thought didn't work. All and it could be just a really bad performance though. Was um, Keith's boss? Yeah. Norton. God, his performance was so bad. I know. It was. It was so bad that it just actually made me wonder what on earth is he doing in this? Richard Gaines. Yeah. Like yeah. He, was, he almost didn't seem to belong. No. He. He. He was a. For me, he was kind of the one flaw. 
mm. of the film because when I see his performance, I actually cringed like, and rewatching it recently, I was there going, oh god, he's so bad. Like, you know, he, yeah, he and just... maybe it stands out more because this is a film of such accomplished yeah, actors. Yeah, and such amazing performances you know, yeah. from the, the principal cast and then you've got this guy who just doesn't fit in Yeah, it is. That. I and agree. It does strike me as weird. Yeah, and so uh, he, it, that puzzles me too and He's highly incompetent. Yeah, I know. Like he basically gets... Um, he gets everything wrong. He gets everything wrong. Yeah. And, you know, Phyllis basically wipes the floor with his face. Yeah, I know, because uh, he's she's, like, fathoms smarter than him. But yet yeah. he's got... I mean, but again, if you connect it to that idea mm. of, like, the corruption of institutions, like, yeah. he's got the most power mm. in terms of, like, position, but yeah. he's an idiot. He's an idiot, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and maybe that's the uh, part of the typical nature of the, the person who plays him. Is also kind of incompetent. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's you know, right. So there's almost levels of idiocy. Yeah. So you almost it. again, and then we talked about that feeling of like rooting for her, even though she's so wrong. Mm. Um, that kind of makes you root for her more. Yeah. I mean, I I do look at a film like this, and I, I do question my own morality <laughs> at times because sometimes I, I actually do feel um, genuine concern for, for their safety even though they've just done something completely despicable like right after the, the but murder it's, but it's the way that the film positions you to, yeah. to be on their side because mm. you're you are on their side in terms of narrative perspective yeah. it's not we're not like it's not like we're the detective we're, we're not placed on the side of the detectives or the mm. police or anybody who's interested in solving this we're mm. placed on the side of the baddies yeah uh, and we're being asked to sympathize yeah you are asked to, i mean even though you know that they're rotten yeah and the film asks you to accept that they're rotten at the same time you're like but they're entertaining me <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i think that film noir can do right mm. it can make everybody like it, it it adds depth and shading to everybody you know the good and the bad and that's why I think that it's it's interesting that um, we kind of both reject that idea that there's something inherently evil about Phyllis mm-hmm. because yeah. for me, yes, Phyllis it does evil things, but I can't accept her as evil. I am there's something going on there. She just won't let us in. Yeah, yeah. I think we have just about run out of time. We have talked for more than we intended to, <laughs> but I mean, who can't stop talking about? Double indemnity. I'm just seeing here on Wikipedia that Raymond Chandler plays the man reading a magazine outside Keyes' office. Okay, so, I'm going to keep that um, go, yeah, go, watch it. Yeah. I think that's the only vision of him on film. Oh, wow. Okay. Or at least in a film that we have, I remember reading. I always note him when I, see, <laughs> when I rewatch it. It's kind of like Hitchcock's cameo. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It. That's right. It's like, you know, or Stan Lee in the Marvel films. <laughs> um, you know, spot the, yeah. spot the Raymond there Chandler. There he is. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy, oh. for coming in to talk more noir. Pleasure as always. Um, we'll, we will reconvene mm-hmm. for more noir files. <laughs> I feel like we need some theme music, but it has to be like... We'll work out something. Yeah, it has to be like... I do like the music from um, Double Indemnity. The music is the also excellent. But I mean, you know what I mean? We need a bit of atmosphere here. Yeah. Anyway, we'll work on that in the <laughs> intro. dark, sleazy music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something grimy. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Um, we'll see you again in two weeks. If you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be fantastic. Drop us a line at fromthelighthouse.org or tweet at me at MQ English and tell us your favourite noir or tell us why you love Double Indemnity. All right, thanks, Jimmy. We'll see you soon. Bye.